0: Our reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So in this passage, Jesus tells two of his shortest parables in order to explain one all-important truth, uh, that the kingdom is uh, about the kingdom and God in our lives. So one of the men, is he's not looking. He doesn't appear to be searching in any way. He just stumbles across this treasure hidden in a field. It's hidden. He finds it. He covers it up again, and then he leaves in joy knowing that he can buy that field, and then it will become his. The second is somebody who actually is searching for pearls and and uh, upon finding a superior pearl that he's been seeking his whole life, apparently, he sells everything to possess that. And, uh, but upon their finding, their prize, uh, they both give up everything else for this newfound treasure. They, remember, they recognize something that is so good, they're willing to give up everything else in order to possess. And this really has one big point to it, uh, both of them. And it's this, the kingdom of heaven is worth possessing above everything else and to gain the kingdom you have to give up everything else now to the modern mind i know that sounds uh, a little bit distasteful uh, because uh, you know we we think this way is that's too restrictive that's what i don't like about religion to say i have to give up all of these other things to be a part of this uh sounds sounds stifling it sounds oppressive And what people think is people should be able to decide for themselves how to live and what makes them happy. You've heard that before, right? And you know what? That's really pretty much what Jesus is saying right here, believe it or not. This is what he's saying. Jesus is saying uh, uh, that in order to uh, pursue, that we ought to be able to pursue what makes us most happy, but what is it that will make us most happy? And Jesus is way more insightful and has a far better sense of what it means to love something. He knows that if you love one thing, it restricts you from all other things. So you decide that something's so good, you want to give up everything else for it. And if you're not willing to give up everything for that, then you don't really love it. So a man who tells a woman, I love you and I want to marry you, but I'm not willing to give up all the other women, he doesn't really love her. And he doesn't really want to get married to her. right? You have to give up all the others because you love. Love is restrictive. Jesus knew this. I know a young man, uh, actually he's an old man now, older man, Uh, years ago when he was uh, going off to college, he went to an engineering school. And uh, so he was going to be an engineer, that's what his parents wanted him to do. But his whole life, his whole life, his dream was to be a classical guitarist, which meant that his whole life he dreamed of being poor. But he went to this engineering school because that's where his parents wanted him to go. And after a year of talking with his parents, um, he decided to transfer to a music school It was fantastic. He's living the dream. Like, I'm going to go, and I'm going to fulfill my dream. Isn't that fantastic? But then, that's not the end of the story, he met her. He met the girl, the girl that he wanted to marry. And he recognized that I cannot be a husband to her the way that I need to be a husband to her if I'm a classical guitarist. So uh, they... He transferred back to his engineering school. He got an engineering degree. He married the girl, and now he can provide for her. So what did he do? He realized that in order to be able to be the kind of person who loves this person properly, I've got to give up, he sold out his dream. He sold everything. He gave up the future that he thought he wanted because he said, this is what I'd rather be. I'd rather be with her than to be poor and to be a classical guitarist, right? So what he's saying is, what what, this is not any different than what jesus is talking about when he says the kingdom is worth selling everything we have that's jesus point he's saying the kingdom is exclusive just like love because it is love all of us are living for something we all do and it shapes every decision we make we're willing to to take on obligations because we love it because we think it's fantastic we're willing to take on uh, responsibilities we're willing to take on tasks We give ourselves to it because we find it truly worthwhile. We want it above everything else. And what Jesus is saying here is that the person who finds the kingdom says, I want the kingdom. I want the kingdom. I want it instead of what the world has to offer. I want it for me. I want it for the world. I want it to shape me. I want it to shape the world. I want to listen to Jesus. I want to live like he describes. I find him and what he says, beautiful and compelling. And I want to live according to it. I don't just want somebody who gives me advice. I want somebody who redirects my life because what he says is trustworthy and true and powerful. I want to follow him. And nothing in this world can give as much satisfaction as the kingdom. So when people find the kingdom, really encounter it, and the king, they give up everything else for it. So what does he mean when he talks about the kingdom of heaven in this passage and others? What does he mean? Well, the, the kingdom of heaven is the place where god rules where he exerts his influence where it's the place that most clearly reflects his character his wisdom his goodness his heart his mind his will you would have seen this most clearly in our world at the creation because that clearly reflected God before there was brokenness and sin and all of the things that we face on a daily basis, right? But we still taste it, right? We still see it. Those days when you get up and you throw up in the shades and you look out and you think, it is good to be alive, that's a day when you're encountering the kingdom of heaven. That day when you're at, that perfect day when you're on the lake with friends and it's just a beautiful day, there you're encountering the kingdom of heaven. And because it's God and his beauty, his majesty, his glory being reflected. Now, when it uses the word kingdom of heaven here, he's using it in contradistinction to what we would call maybe the world around us. And we've got a pretty good idea of what the world is right now. The world as we know it is a place of invasion and bombs and wars. It's a place of megalomaniacs and power. It's a place where uh, a place of misinformation and lies, a place of disease and famine and natural catastrophe and oppression and animosity and abuse. It's a place of trauma and mental illness and guilt, right? And every time, we, every time I'm watching the news right now and I'm watching what's going on in another place in the world and I'm seeing bombs, I'm seeing uh, missiles, I'm seeing uh, apartment buildings with half their sides blown out, I see weapons of war moving into this country, there's something in me that cries out. And you know what I'm crying out for? The kingdom of heaven. When we want peace in the world, we're crying out for the kingdom of heaven. When we want justice in the world, we're crying out for the kingdom of heaven. This is what our hearts are crying out for. Now, the beautiful thing about it is back in the first century, people saw this firsthand. Because when Jesus came, Jesus announced, he said, the kingdom of heaven is near. And what he means is the kingdom of heaven, in distinction to all the brokenness, has stepped in. So the God of holiness and righteousness and justice and grace and love has stepped into the world, and he's reversing all of these things. So when Jesus was walking the earth, Jesus healed bodies and minds and souls, not with research, but with His very presence. And Jesus dispelled dangers, not with technology, but with just a word. Jesus multiplied mere morsels and created a banquet for people who were gathered around Him. He didn't send men to the front line to die, but He died to put an end to all front lines. And what we're seeing in Jesus is the kingdom of heaven has come, and the kingdom of heaven is being announced, and that's what our souls long for. And when you see that, you want that. And what he's telling us here is not simply that you want it. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is worth having more than anything else. But in order to enter into it, you have to give up everything else. Because it's like love. You have to give up, and it's exclusive. And he says you have to give up everything for the kingdom. And this is our first point. We have to give up everything for the kingdom, even if others don't understand why we're doing it. If they don't understand what we're doing this is what he says in these verses first verse that we looked at he says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field and a man sells all that he has and buys that field so he covers it back up and then he has this treasure that's hidden in the field so when people are walking past this field do you know what they see a field but when he looks at the field do you know what he sees a fortune it's a fortune There's a treasure hidden in that field, right? He's the only one who sees it. He's the one who knows it's there. Nobody else can see it, but he can see it. Um, Now, this guy in this passage wasn't looking for it, apparently. But once he sees it, he can't unsee it. Like, I've got to do everything to possess that field so I can have that treasure, right? And some of us, that's the way that we come to faith in Jesus Christ, is we're not really looking for him, but he's looking for us. I remember reading a testimony from a pastor years ago, and uh, this is the way he began his testimony. He said, I was smoking pot the first time I heard the gospel. <laughs> so, everybody's like, that wasn't you. That's not mine. No, that's somebody else. But uh, he says, I wasn't searching for God. God came looking for me. So he's in college. He's smoking pot. He's stoned. He goes to a friend's room. He just kind of plops down. And his friend, who's a Christian, starts sharing the gospel with him and talking about sin and redemption and Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and to rest, restore us to God and God forgiving all of our sins and being restored. And so he's sitting there stoned and encounters this treasure hidden in the field and he gives his life to at that moment his life has completely changed that's fantastic right my stories you know i was never stoned but my is like that i wasn't really looking i just happened to across some people who told me and told me in a powerful way and so i came to faith There was a treasure hidden in the field and once i saw it i couldn't unsee it i had to give my life to this and that's what this guy did now for some of you in here you're thinking yeah well but that's never happened for me, right? That, I would like for that to happen, uh, but I find that I have way too many questions. And maybe you start with doubt quite a bit. You just have questions that are in your head. It's like it's never been this treasure. It's never been this obvious as this treasure hidden in a field. And I think that's why Jesus tells two parables here that are almost exactly the same, except for the, the little bit of a punchline and a couple of the details. And, and some of the details in this, is, in the second one, is the parable of the pearl it's not a treasure hidden in a field. It's a guy who's actually on a quest. He's, got, he's a guy who's seeking. He's a merchant of fine pearls. And so he gets these pearls and he looks and he examines and he knows what he's looking for. And he knows how to test them and he knows, what he's, he knows what, what's good about a pearl when he sees it. And so when you begin this particular parable, this man's still on his quest. He's a merchant of fine pearls. He hasn't found the pearl yet. But eventually he does. And that's when he discovers the treasure. That's when he realizes I've got something of great value here that I'm selling everything else to have this. So if you have questions, if you have doubts, it's okay. The quest isn't over. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you a story. Um, I had a seminary professor named Jerem Bars, and Jerem was uh, one of the most evangelistic guys that he just loved people. So in a room like this, uh, if there were people in the room who didn't know Jesus, they would come and hang out with Jerem because he was just that approachable, just a fantastic guy. Uh, but his own story plays into why he loved people who asked questions and loved people who were, uh, who were, who were doubting and skeptical of Christianity. He grew up in England, and uh, his parents were not Christians, but when he was growing up, they would pray with him at night, and they would read Bible stories to him because they wanted him to be able to make his own decisions about Christianity, So that's the way they handled things. They sent him to church. They didn't really go, but they would send him to church. And he had a Sunday school teacher that he would listen to. And, and, you know, reflecting back on that time in his life, he said she was actually a really faithful and good Sunday school teacher. And and at this point in my life, I remember a lot of what she said. In his teen years, he loved literature. And he discovered some Christian authors who wrote fantasy, like C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. So he loved these guys. He read, you know, their books that held forth Christian analogies and metaphors. And uh, he also read a lot of other things. He just loved literature. So he, when he went off to university, it made perfect sense to him to study literature. But when he went off to school, this was a time in, in, in university history where they began to shift the coursework. And so they were reading a lot of existentialist writers and a lot of people that were pretty bleak about uh, the, the, the search for truth. And so the people who were reading, uh, he was reading in class, they said there is no meaning, there is no purpose, there is no significance, there is no God, none of these things exist, it's just absurd, the whole universe makes no sense. Well, as a young man, he's hearing this, he's being influenced by it. So he ends up believing the, the absurdity in, in the cosmos, and uh, he ended up going into a steep descent into despair, and he said he fell into a state of morbid depression, That was, and he felt the weight of the emptiness of life pressing down upon him and he said he just couldn't take it so he decided the only way out from under this pressure is to end my life so he uh, set all of his affairs in order he got a bus from where his university was he went to this place uh, i've never been alderley edge that's a very british name is an Alderly edge it's a good place Um, a high cliff in the cheshire hills and it was you know really high up there's a cliff and he's determined i'm going to step off of this cliff So he takes the bus to Alderley Edge, gets out, climbs to the top, and he's standing there on the edge of the cliff about to take his life. It's a winter day, and he looks out, and all of a sudden he's struck with the beauty of everything he sees in the world around him. And he has a sense there's such a thing as beauty in even this bleak place in the middle of winter. And it struck him, there has to be some meaning for this. There has to be some reason for this. So he turned around from, elderly, from the edge and went down in the bus, committed to the idea of pursuing the truth. So he's committed. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to, I'm going to find answers to these questions. I'm going to find the meaning. Two weeks later, um, he met a young man who invited him to a Bible study. And it was in the Bible study that Jerem, for the first time, encountered God in a very real way. He was searching. He was asking questions. It was a long process. It was a hard process. But finally, he found the pearl of great price. And that's when uh, it changed everything for him. His whole life changed. He gave everything up and began to pursue a life in ministry. Look, Jesus says this. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That's what Jesus says. The pearl of great price. If you find yourself doubting and struggling with doubt and questions, it's okay. If you want partners with that, to ask your questions as you struggle, come find me. Um, come find that guy. Uh, no, just find somebody who will walk through that with you, because there are people in here who would love to help you as you wrestle with your questions and your doubts. But no matter what people, other people think, no matter what the existentialist writers think, no matter what people in our culture may think, they can't see the treasure in the field. Pursue it. Attain it. And once you attain it, retain it. Hold on to it, right? It doesn't matter what other people think. It's worth giving up everything. But it's worth giving up everything for the kingdom because what you gain is far better than what you give up. So in verse 44, we read this Then in his joy, the man who found the treasure goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So the kingdom and the idea of the kingdom, the treasure hidden in the field, becomes our joy. It becomes our reason. It becomes our meaning. It becomes our happiness, our satisfaction and nothing else can compare with it. And now modern culture tells us that we can have uh, our full satisfaction and happiness here. And so we have set our sights on fulfillment and happiness and satisfaction in life here in all the things that are offered to us with consumer culture. But the reality is they don't do that. They don't bring satisfaction. I was reading, I actually watched a uh, an interview with a man named Alan Richson. He's probably a guy you've never heard of. Uh, I'd never heard of him. Uh, but he is an actor, and he's in a new Amazon Prime TV series called Reacher. It's based on Jack Reacher. He's just kind of like, somebody's going, that's really good. That's violent. Okay, um, and, uh, and so he, he has his own show. And they've actually said, we're going to do season two of this show coming up. So he's made it as far as the world is concerned, right? He was in a lot of movies, he played bit roles, and now finally he has his own show. He's the featured face. He's all over the place on Amazon Prime and everything. And so in this interview, he's talking about what he's discovered. And this is what he said. He said, and I'm just gonna read this from him. Nobody ever tells you that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. There's just more of that, whatever you did to get to the top, if you want it. I had ground and scraped and fought to make movies, to make things that I wanted to make, and to sell books and scripts. And I was doing all those things, and then I get there to the top, and I'm like a broken shell of myself. That's not something we talk about, that there's nothing at the top. Person after person gets to the top, and all they find is confusion and disillusionment and frustration and loneliness, They scrimp battle, they save, they make sacrifices, they put away things that were important to them, they break good relationships, and at the end, they find that the sacrifice wasn't worth it. Whatever they feel like they attained, they didn't get, were supposed to attain, they didn't get. We're the most affluent culture in the history of the world, and we have, it seems like, the most mental illness, depression, isolation, animosity, and despair. I know it's easy right now to say that's COVID. It's COVID. It's it's a, a problem with COVID. It's not. COVID was like a petri dish for the soul that enabled these infestations of the mind to fester without the artificial means that we use to try to self-medicate the ailments of our soul. That's all it did. It isolated us into little petri dishes, right? But those things are there because we believe the American dream. The American dream is an illusion. It's a, that's why we call it a dream. Last night, I had a dream. I had a dream about my dad. My dad has been dead for 10 years it was an illusion. He wasn't there. That was a dream. This is the American dream. It can't fulfill you. You are you have and this is why Jesus is saying you have to lose the world. You have to you have to sell it all in order to gain the kingdom. You have to get rid of the illusion in order to get the reality. Because we give ourselves to whatever we think is most worth acquiring. And if you think it's the American dream, you will give yourself completely to that. And then you will be disillusioned. But giving yourself to the kingdom means that it's something that's beautiful and wonderful. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So what it means is for you to take hold of the kingdom, the kingdom has to take hold of you. And that's why he says in verse 44, then in his joy, his joy, his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. So why would a person consider the kingdom worth giving up everything else? There are tons of reasons, but let me give you three, right? Otherwise, we'd be here all morning, and nobody wants that. So three reasons. Number one, it's real. It's real. Why do we do things in the Christian life? If they don't earn salvation for us, why do we do things in the Christian life? Because it's real. When we pray, God really is bending his ear, and he really is listening to what we're saying, because he loves us. Why do we read our Bibles? Because it really is God's Word. And when we open it and read it or when we hear it, the door is opening on things that are transcendent. And we're encountering God in His heart, His mind, His will, His character. We actually have intimacy with God in that moment. And many of you in here have experienced that. Why do we tell other people about Jesus? Why do we tell people about the Kingdom? Because it's real. God really is redeeming souls of men and women. Jesus really did die on a cross 2,000 years ago. He really was (laughs) resurrected. He really is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he's going to come back. And the kingdom of heaven will not just be something we think about conceptually. It will be something that's real in our midst and we will see it and we will walk its streets and we will encounter its people. It's all real. That's why we do it. The second reason that's why it's important that's what that's why it's significant it's worth giving up everything is it's eternal everything that you work for for here is going to rust or fade or disintegrate and if it doesn't then you will we live in the villages and we all know that right some of you already have you know replacement knees i have replacement eyes right i have i have hardware in my eyes to enable me to see you and to see what's in front of me someday i'll get new eyes it'll be okay Um, you can't keep these things. It's temporary, you lose it all. And, uh, you know, I'll just say it this way. I am richer than Nelson Rockefeller. You know why? Because he's dead and he didn't take any of it with him. So I have more money right now than Nelson Rockefeller. Now, I don't have that much that he had when he was living, but that's just beside the point, right? So none of his fortune left with him. You can't keep anything you have here. You're going to lose it. But what he's saying is in heaven, we have treasures kept for us that can never perish, spoil, or fade. We've worked for nothing, but we can't lose anything. It's eternal. It never diminishes in value. It only increases in our estimation. We're never bored. We're never uh, disappointed. And our joy is never depleted because it's eternal and it's there. And then the third, it's mine. Most of us enter into the kingdom of heaven with a real sense of desperation. I feel the guilt of my soul, and I need that to be taken care of. So we go and we we find Jesus and we think He's forgiving my soul, he's, he's healing me, He's restoring me, He's accepting me. I don't have to feel guilty or ashamed anymore because of Jesus. But the Bible also says that when we come to Jesus, we don't just get forgiveness, we get the kingdom of heaven along with him because we're united to him, and whatever was his becomes ours as well. That's great news. Several years ago, I had a friend who did a wedding for a young woman, and uh, he told me her story. He showed me the pictures of her. and It's like, oh, she's a really attractive le- young lady. He said, well, let me tell you her story. So her story was that she grew up with her jaw out of alignment. So it was really set back pretty far. And so her, it gave her an incredible overbite, right? And so it was painful. So her, her back teeth would rub against one another. She couldn't chew food properly. She lived this way for decades, and she was... Um, She was embarrassed and ashamed because of the way she felt like she looked. She just didn't measure up uh, to the standard of beauty that was around her all of the time. In her hometown, there was an oral surgeon. And uh, she went to the oral surgeon uh, for him to do repair, which is pretty brutal. I think they have to, like, break your jaw and do some things and bring it forward. So it was going to be a pretty brutal thing. But as they're going through talking about all the stuff they would have to do and they're getting to know each other, he begins to fall in love with her. And she begins to fall in love with him. And so what ends up happening is uh, this oral surgeon, as he does this procedure, and he brings repair to her jaw and healing to her mouth, Um, he makes her beautiful. And he does it all for free. And then he marries her. So the person who did all of these things, who healed her, who made her not be ashamed anymore, brings her home and everything that is his becomes hers. That's the kingdom of heaven. Jesus forgives us. He heals us. He makes us beautiful. And then he gives us everything. This is in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. It says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. We give up everything cheerfully because we get everything even better than what we gave up. And then we give up everything for the kingdom because we have a king who gave up everything for us. I know I don't like the term kingdom very much and probably neither do you as an American. It brings back all those British kind of issues that we had, right? and maybe this week when you hear the word kingdom you're thinking about putin and you're thinking about despots and you're thinking about um, people who want to possess and oppress i mean what, why would you want to be a part of anything that has to do with the kingdom like that well it's because this parable is not first and foremost about you this parable is first and foremost about jesus he's the man who finds the treasure in the field. He's the man who goes and finds the pearl of great price. He's the man who is searching. So Jesus actually says this about himself. He says, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. So when we read this parable, what we read is Jesus is the one who found the treasure, and you're the treasure in the midst of this. So before, the, before this parable ever guides our heart motivations, it reveals his heart motivations for us. And so when it talks about us giving up for the king, it's because he's already given up everything for us. He made himself nothing in order to redeem and to rescue and to save us. This is what a, a Scottish preacher by the name of Robert Murray Mishane said. Learn much of the Lord Jesus For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace. And all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in His beams. Feel His all-seeing eye settled on you in love. And repose, rest in His almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him." So when Jesus talks about seeing the kingdom of heaven as the pearl of grace price, Christ, he's actually talking about seeing him, seeing someone who would give himself completely for us and completely to us, uh, as we give ourselves completely and totally to him. Uh, the essence of sin is a looking to everything else for happiness. The essence of salvation is looking to Jesus alone for happiness and saying, I found it. I found the pearl of great price. It changes everything when we find that, even if it's unexpected. Um, hey, Lenny, can you put that picture on for me? There we go. Um, I've probably in, in the fall, uh, those of you who are here, you heard me tell the story about a young lady in Ukraine. And this seemed like a good week to tell the story again, but go into a little more detail about her coming to faith. Uh, this is her. This is Masha and her husband Doug and their children, and uh, they are missionaries in I think it's pronounced Lviv, V I V. It's on the western end of Ukraine, and they've been there for several years helping the Ukraine Presbyterian Church um, with church planting in that area, starting in Lviv and working its way out uh, in that western part of Ukraine. And uh, she told I've I watched her give her testimony this past week. And she talked about growing up. She grew up behind the Iron Curtain in Ukraine. I think she grew up in Odessa. You've probably seen that in the news, too, in the southern part. And uh, she, when she was in her early years of school, the Iron Curtain fell. And so there she is in Ukraine. Iron Curtain's gone. And they've got a new government that's being established. And she said, and uh, maybe it was her fourth grade year, they had four different history textbooks that they used with four different agendas that were coming through. And so she said when she was younger, she learned, don't trust books. And some of you are kind of like, I'm right there with you. So don't trust books. And so she had a, this kind of suspicion of any books. And so she was in college age. She ended up going to uh, study English with a group of people. There was a, uh, her husband, Doug, and some other people were there in Odessa at this point. And uh, she would go to these meetings and hear them speak English because she wanted to get better at English. And she heard them talking about the Bible, and she said, I'm going to prove them wrong because a book could not be right. I'm not going to listen to anything. So she got a Bible, and she started reading it. And she started going to their Bible studies with the intent of proving everybody wrong. How could you believe this garbage? But she found that she was reading the Bible and going to these Bible studies. This this something is beginning to take place in her heart. And there was this moment where she is... uh, Where she was at a Bible study, and there was a new person who was there, this lady, who spoke disparagingly of Christianity and of Jesus and sounded, it was very hateful. And in her heart, Masha was going, No, don't say that about him. Well, when she left there, she was really confused because she said, How in the world do I have these feelings for Jesus going on? And so this is what she said about it She said, He's so personal to me. I got home, and I remember crying and asking for forgiveness and really realizing I'm a mess and knowing that from this day I'm not going back and I'm going to have a different life at whatever cost. As I became involved, my mom knew right away something had changed. What had changed? She had found the treasure in the field. She had found the pearl of great price. Did you hear what she said? She said, I can't go back to that. I'm not going back. I've sold the old life. It's it's there and I'm gonna follow him no matter the cost. She's a missionary and one of the worst events I think that's taken place in Europe in a long time, watching this war and planes and fly by, all these things that are taking place. And she's still following Jesus in the midst of this, following as a missionary in this country. What about you? Jesus loves you. He's probably not calling us to go to Ukraine, right? Um, He's probably not calling us to go on the mission field. But what does it mean for you in your life right now to say, I'm not going back. I'm selling everything and following him. I'm going. I'm doing this to say, he loves me. He's given himself for me. He's the treasure in the field for me. I will follow him wherever he leads. That's what he's calling us to do, to say he's worth pursuing above everything else. Let me pray for us.